So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Okay, you guys, really quickly, I am dropping in here to just give you an update. Um, at the time that we recorded this episode, Yasser Saeed was not captured. He was still on the run. But as of today, August the 26th, 2020, he has been captured by the FBI. There's not much details, um, just that he's been captured. So we just wanted to let you know because we recorded this entire episode operating on the information that at that time he had not been captured. So we just want to let you know we are aware and just know that we recorded before this happened. But thank God he's been caught and he can now face justice. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at KillerQueensPodcast. And we're on YouTube at KillerQueens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Welcome back to Killer Queens. Hey, y'all. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. Man, you know, how's it going? Yeah. We got a little, if our voices sound weird, I don't think it's too bad, but got some allergies, some Tennessee allergies. So yes, if you live in the South, specifically in Middle Tennessee, we are what um, we in the biz call right in the basin. Hmm. We're in between the mountains and the plateau and allergies, you know, just the actual allergies, not pollen or anything, but an allergy likes to just sit right in here and just move in. We are one big allergy. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Totally feeling it. So there's that. Um, We're going to jump into today's case. I don't think we have a lot of announcements. We also, I guess, should always announce the Patreon. Yes, we should announce the Patreon. So if you want extra cases, up to four a week, Scoot including on over there. the Patreon and our other show, Oh Snapped, which is just episode by episode coverage of the show Snap. We are not researching cases as much as we are just recapping an episode of Snapped. Yeah. So those cases, I mean, the Diane Zamora one, um, there was one that we covered on a mixtape mm. a while back. It, it just so happened to also be a Snapped episode from their first season. That one we did know a little bit more about, but otherwise, yeah, it's just recaps of the show, and uh, we're about to wrap up season one, so... We have one more episode. Yeah, so if you check that out, if you haven't listened to it yet, you'd have 10 episodes right now to binge. Mm-hmm. And binge you shall. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that, and um, today we're going to do 
The honor killings of Amina and Sarah Saeed. Honor killings, you were talking about this earlier. Like, I don't think that any killings are my favorite. I cannot say that. I do not enjoy when people are like, oh, that's my favorite when they're talking about murder or killings. But I, honor killings, they are so tough Mm -hmm. to hear about. Yeah, they are. It's, I mean, every murder is unnecessary. Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's senseless but it's just like i don't know just the the when you boil down to reasons not that any reason is a good reason to kill somebody but you know it's just like really and it's so it's the brutality of someone that you trust and you has cared for you your entire life and then because of morals or standards or whatever i don't know it just breaks my heart but yeah anyway we'll get more into that 100% this case was requested by Karen Washington. Hey, hey, girl. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. And like, thanks, Karen. And also, you know, no thanks, Karen, because it was a tough one. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, thanks for requesting it. But yeah, it was just, it, it is a tough one. And this was originally going to be a mixtape case. And Brittany... Uh, scripted it out for us. Thank you for doing that. Uh, researched and written by Brittany. And I just felt like because of the fact that this case is not closed, that we should release it on the main feed um, just to like get it out there. Yeah, give it more attention. So hopefully yeah. we can help in any way that we can to get it closed up. Yeah, just as many people that can hear it, you know, so much the better. Oh, yes. Maybe get his ass caught. Definitely. Yeah. All right. So we begin today on New Year's Day, January 1st, 2008 in Louisville, Texas. Sisters, 17-year-old Sarah and 18-year-old Amina Saeed got into their father, 50-year-old Yasser Saeed's taxi, to go to dinner. The girl's mother, 35-year-old Patricia Tissy Owens, and I'm just going to call her Tissy for the rest of the time because what everybody calls her, later stated that she wanted to tag along on the trip, but Yasser had told her that he wanted to talk to the girls alone. Unfortunately, he did not take the girls to dinner. He drove them both about 20 miles away to nearby Irving, Texas. At 7.33 p.m., a call was placed to 911 from Sarah's cell phone. Irving, 911, what is your emergency? What's going on, man? I'm dying. Okay, let me transfer you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get I'm, uh, fire department online. Okay, hold on one sec. Okay. What? Oh my God! Irving Fire Department. Irving Fire Department. Ma'am, are you still there? Ma'am, are you still there? Sarah yelled out to the operator, Help, my dad shot me, my sister. I'm dying, I'm dying. The dispatcher says, What's going on, ma'am? Sarah responds, I'm dying, that's what's up. He says, Okay, I need to transfer you. I need to get the fire department on the line, okay? Hold on a second. 
I feel like that was the wrong move. Like, are you supposed to put someone who is in grave danger and distress on hold? No. You're supposed to stay on the line with them. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Because can't you do more than, can't you transfer and do all these things while you're still on the line with somebody? Yes. And they actually, so like if you watch the the documentary, it's called The Price of Honor um, and it's on Amazon Prime. They actually, when they're playing the full 911 call later, like they play the full one toward the end of the show. They actually show why, because Sarah's still on the line. So she's still on the line, but he's doing other stuff. Mm -hmm. And they show like from the manual on what dispatchers are supposed to do that at that time he should be asking her questions like, have you been attacked? What type of a weapon is the, you know, perpetrator still there? Are you wounded? Do you have wounds? Like, you're supposed to maintain control of the situation. Like, yeah, you're going to have to get, because a lot of them are responsible for also dispatching police, fire department, ambulance, all that stuff. But you do that while you're keeping the person on the line, keeping them giving you information, like Mm -hmm. asking, where are you? Are you in a car? What type of car? Like all these things. Like, yeah, give us clues. Where to are you? Where, where can you. we find you? Yeah. And she says, she says, my dad shot me and my sister. I'm dying. But he, I guess he just didn't hear any of that. I don't know what he heard, but you can, it's pretty clear what well, she he, says. He asks her to clarify what's going on. And she says, I'm dying. That's what. Yeah. So that's what I wonder. Like, d- is it often that 911 call or dispatchers get calls of people saying I'm dying and they're just like, you know, because sometimes if you get like a super bad stomach bug or something and somebody's like, how are you? And you're like, I'm dying, you know, is that the kind of calls that this guy is getting? And so he's like, you don't mean that. Like somebody calls 911 and they say they're dying. You're supposed to take that seriously. You would think. And he kept her on the line, but. Yeah, he's like, okay, well, let me put you on hold. And she's just like, mm-hmm. I mean, she doesn't say anything. Because while he's doing all this other stuff in the background, you then you can hear the car door open because they're in the taxi. And Sarah starts screaming, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, stop it, stop it. No, she's still being attacked. And when the operator comes back to the call and the fire department guy picks up, he's like, hello, fire department hello, fire department. And he sounds annoyed because- Nobody's answering. Nobody's saying anything. Oh my gosh. And it's like, she's actively being attacked. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very, it's it's disheartening. I mean, we've talked about so many horrible 911 calls. Mm-hmm. Like, so many horrible 911 calls. It's awful. Um, I think that there needs to be I get that they have an important job and I can't imagine how difficult it would be to be a 911 dispatcher, but you have to have a a level of bedside manner when it comes to that because you're talking to people who unfortunately sometimes are in a very, very tragic, traumatic, stressed out, possibly the last moments of their lives moment. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to handle that. Yeah, and you have to... You know, like that instruction manual said, maintain control of the conversation because it says if you don't do that, then you have to work to reestablish it. You have to start all over. Like 
These are precious moments that you have to get information. And if you lose your chance, you lose your chance. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to start asking these questions. Absolutely. Brittany also looked up, she found an article that's called Why Does 911 Put You on Hold? And and that's kind of what I mentioned earlier that sometimes, you know, they're answering the 911 line. They also have to dispatch the officer, firefighter, EMT, and all that stuff. But it says, so it says when speaking on the radio, so they will be talking to you on the phone and then they have to talk over the radio to get those people involved. So when they're on the radio, you may not hear them talking, but they can still hear you talking um, or whatever noise is there. When the caller cannot hear the dispatcher, it does not mean that they can't hear you. Even when speaking on a radio call channel, the caller's end of the phone line remains open so that the dispatcher can continue to monitor the situation. This is why it's so important for agencies to recruit, train, and retain 911 dispatchers that possess superior listening skills and the ability to multitask in stressful situations. So I feel like this dispatcher... Oh, for two on that. Yeah. He didn't hear her say, my dad shot me and my sister. And he also did not possess the ability to multitask in a stressful situation. He doesn't ask her any questions. Just let me put you on hold. This is not calling like your local phone company or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like it's, it's sad. It's bigger than that. The police spent the next hour trying to track Sarah's cell phone signal to a general area, and then another 911 call came in. At 8.30 p.m., an employee at the Omni Mandalay Hotel called in to report a taxi in the hotel's cab stand line with no driver around, a body slumped in the passenger seat, and another body in the back seat. They said the person in the passenger seat had blood coming out of her ear and that they did not appear to be moving. The police arrived to find both girls were dead. They'd been shot multiple times. The abandoned cab where they were found was quickly traced back to their father. Almost immediately, police issued an arrest warrant for Yasser Saeed. Now, let's get a little background on... Yasser mm-hmm. and his family. Yasser Abdel Said was born on January 27th, 1957 in Sinai, Egypt. He has three brothers, Mawson, Yusri, and Yassin, and one sister, Gada. Yasser and his siblings came to America in 1983. They left for a fresh start after their father divorced their mother, remarried, and began another family back in Egypt. Four years later, Yasser was 30, working in a convenience store in Hearst, Texas, when he met 15-year-old Patricia Tissy Owens, who was born and raised in Texas. Yasser gifted Tissy with presents, told her family that he was wealthy and that he owned land in Egypt. None of this is true that I can tell. Within just a few short weeks, her parents signed papers allowing their minor daughter to marry a man twice her age. Oh my gosh. In the 80s. Yeah. In the 80s. Yeah. 15-year-old marries 30-year-old. 30-year-old. Yeah. After weeks of courtship. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. And her sister was like, I guess they thought she could provide her with Maybe a life that she wasn't going to have otherwise, but 
you know, they just didn't, uh, it very much reads medieval times where you trade your daughter for like 15 chickens and a goat. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's, I mean, it's, it's to think that sad. this is in the 1980s is I know, beyond yeah. me. I mean, that's, 15 is a child. 15 oh, is yeah. a child. Yeah. And 30 is a grown ass man. Yes. Yeah. That's disgusting. I don't agree with it either way, but it'd be different if he was like 17. Yeah. But still, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Oh. Exactly. Okay. They wed on February 7th, 1987. The wedding reception was held at Yasser's family's home. And the divide between everyone there was very apparent. The men sat in one room, the women in another. All the food was in the room with the men, of course. (laughs) Many people in Tissy's family believe that Yasser was using her to stay in America because his visa was apparently about to expire. And after, shortly after they got married, he did apply for and receive permanent residency. So, I mean, it was pretty soon after. And they stayed married mm-hmm. a long time. But but the motive for the quick marriage could have been. Yeah, yeah. that's what they think. Yasser and Tissy had three children together. Islam, born in 1988, Amina in 1989, and Sarah in 1990. Tissy would later claim that Yasser was physically and mentally abusive to her, but only at times. Other times she would say that any instance in which she previously had accused him of abuse that they were just joking around or he wasn't being serious, she goes, flip-flop is not even like, that's an understatement term for what Tissy does. That breaks my heart though, because I feel like that just shows you the intensity of the mental abuse that was being exhibited, I think, Mm -hmm. because obviously he had a really, really strong hold on her. Yeah, yeah. She's like, no, 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 it was my fault. It was, it, it was, I perceived it wrong. Yeah, we were, he was just joking around. It was, he was just being silly. But as you go, as you dig like further into things, I do think that she is a victim too, because at the very least, he brainwashed her. Oh, yeah. You know, and there is something to be said for that. When we get to the end of it, though, you're not going to like her. And, even though she is, I think, technically partially a victim, she takes some steps that you would just hope that no mother would take, even in her situation. And again, I, you know, I can't imagine what living with a man like this is like, but it's just, it's sad. When Amina and Sarah were in grade school, Amina told her teacher that she was having sex with her father. This obviously concerned her teacher. So she brought this to their mother's attention. Tissy says immediately she took them to the children's hospital and had them examined. And then her mom ended up, Tissy's mom, ended up turning Yasser into CPS, Hmm. Child Protective Services. So the exam wasn't definitive, But the report read, could not rule out sexual abuse. So they didn't find definitive evidence of it, but they couldn't say that it had never happened. And without going into specifics of the allegations, because they're very specific and it's 
horrific and disgusting to think about. The things that they said that he did and like where he touched them and things may not leave marks. Mm. So, you know, it's not, I mean, it's all horrible. But and just because you can't see it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Exactly. Yeah. So there's that. Eventually, Tissy convinced the girls to recant their statements and told them to tell authorities that they had lied because they wanted to live with their grandmother. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. So she she's a big part, man. She she plays a big part. So the so Tissy's family definitely knew that Yasser wanted them to recant, obviously, because they didn't he didn't want to go to jail. But Amina told Tissy's sister wrote her a letter and said, because they had already at that point told the police, oh, we just made it up. We made it up, all this stuff. She writes her aunt a letter and says, don't make me go back there. They're telling me to say that I lied. They're telling me to recant. I don't want to go back there. They said, you know, what we said, we'll send our dad to jail. And, you know, obviously they don't want that. So, you know, it, it really did happen. And they're just telling us to say that it didn't. So her, Amina's aunt, Tissy's sister, hides that letter in her closet. And she's like, I know exactly where it was in the closet. I hid it there because I wanted it to be safe. Because at that point, so after the sexual abuse allegations came out, Tissy packed up the kids and moved to a house with her sister and her family. So they're all living there together. So then when all this is happening, the girls are starting to recant and all this stuff. Amina writes the letter. They're still living there. They're getting ready to go back, move in with Yasser. So the aunt was like, I left for work one day. I come back. The next time I look for the letter, it's gone. I knew exactly where it was. Mm -hmm. I think that Amina told her mom she wrote the letter. And Tissy took it. And Tissy took it. Mm -hmm. Because she didn't want that to get out. And nobody's ever found it. So, so fucking frustrating. There are numerous home videos that Yasser took of the girls. He literally seemed to have a camera on them 24-7. Like, there was a camera that filmed everything all the time. In one video, they are laying in their bed, which I think they share. Because there's one, one video where they're almost like giving a tour of their room. Um, I think it's Amina maybe doing it. And she's like, Hey, this is our room. Um, this is our bed. This is our bed. Well, you and I shared a bed for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These girls are in high school. And we didn't share it that long. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had our own beds, but we definitely stayed in each other's beds all the time. Yeah, that's true. And then, but she said, and, you know, these are our computers or whatever, but it, it definitely seemed like there's one bed. So in this video, they're in their bed. They're laying there. There are no sheets, no pillowcases, no nothing, just mattress and a blanket. Okay. And they're both lying down and they're each covered with a blanket. And one of their, I couldn't tell who, which was which because they're covered with blankets and stuff. I think that this was Sarah, but I could be wrong. But like her legs were kind of like sticking out of the bottom of the blanket. It wasn't covering her all the way. And she's wearing pants. They might be like kind of lounge pants or whatever. So they kept kind of coming up. You could see like her calves, her ankles and her calves. And so her, you know, legs are out a little bit and she's trying to move around to stay covered up and Yasser's filming it and he, you can hear him, he's holding the camera and he says, 
ooh, nice legs. Look at those legs. And it's so creepy and disgusting. It's, it's horrible. So then he tells Islam to pull the blanket off of her. He says, the one in the back, pull the blanket off. So he pulls the blanket off. So she, I think she was laying on her back and then she flips over to her stomach because she's trying to not be filmed. She's trying to keep her face not, not filmed. So she turns over, he zooms in on her butt. She's like 10 or 11 looking at this time, it seems like. I could be wrong, but she looks pretty young. And he zooms in on her butt and he goes, ooh, that's nice. The way he's saying it, the, the way he was talking about these girls is how you would think a husband would be referring to his wife. Like, and Yasser has been known, he's got a track record of loving young girls. Absolutely, he does. Absolutely, he does. So then he he has the blanket taken off of the other girl, which I think was Amina. And then she's like, stop, they're begging him. Stop, stop, the whole time. Stop, stop that. Stop filming. Get out of here. Get out of here. And at one point, Amina's like, I don't come in your room and film you while you're sleeping. This has to be illegal. Get out of here. Like, please stop it. And he just keeps rolling, like, whatever. It's so disgusting. If there, and there's not a silver lining, but if there's one good thing that happened is that they had two daughters and not just one, because could you imagine how isolating that would have been to just have one? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because they were definitely like each other's everything. Yeah. You had to be, yeah. Yeah. The girls also had evidence of physical abuse. Many friends and relatives reported seeing them with bruises. Amina said that one day Yasser woke her up by kicking her in the stomach and then kicking her in the face so hard that her lip became embedded in her braces. Oh my gosh. Multiple people talked about this. Like several people refer to this incident and they asked Tissy about it and she says... Amina didn't wear braces. She and Yasser didn't fight. They weren't fighting. He was a great dad. He loved his children. They never got into fights. It's like, that seems like a pretty easy thing to prove or disprove. Did she or did she not have braces? Like, mm-hmm. you any- don't get braces for a day. No. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like she had braces just that day and nobody saw her that day. Like, you get braces for a while. But... Mm-hmm. She told other people. She told her boyfriend, her boyfriend's family. She told her friends all this happened. She told her Taekwondo instructor. Nobody said, but we knew she didn't have braces. So we knew that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. You know, like, whatever. There's also a video of Yasser spying on Amina at work with a video camera. So he's sitting outside the Kroger that she's working at. And she's standing like up by the cart return. And he's filming her through the window. And at one point, he asks Tissy, who's in the car with him, she can't see us from inside, right? You're sure she can't see us? And Tissy's like, yeah, no, I'm sure. And he goes, she smiled at a customer. She's in trouble. And Tissy's like, she has to, Baba. That's part of her job. And he's like, well, no, she's in trouble. Watching her at work, she smiles at a customer passing by. I am shocked that Tissy was even there. You know, like what kind of abuse had to take place for her to be like, yeah, let's go. Let's go spy on Amina while she's working. Mm-hmm. Let's go stalk our children. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what it is. Stalking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's part of it. it. She's definitely part of it. It's, it's sickening. Early in her teens, Amina wrote that her father was going to kill her. She knew it was going to happen one day. Like 
more like an inevitability, not like a possibility. When she was 16, Yasser took her to Egypt to begin the process of choosing a husband for her arranged marriage. He was adamant that his girls would not marry American men. He's such a hypocrite. Yeah, I know. I know. That's what I was thinking. Because I'm like, you love America. You got married so that you could stay here. You have an American wife. Yeah, you yeah, you married an American woman, and you but you hate America and you refuse to let your daughters marry American men. He found a man in his 40s that he wanted her to marry, and she's 16, and she refused. She wrote to her friends that he was basically trying to sell her and that she was pretty much just an object to be sold in the eyes of her parents that they don't care about her or her happiness or, you know, what happens to her. They're just trying to sell her to basically the highest bidder. And she's like, I don't want to be forced to marry a stranger. I want to marry somebody I want to marry. Like, this is not what I want to do. This is so sad. It's so sad. And, I mean, we already talked about it a little bit, but um, because that, I feel like that does highlight exactly the... Hypocriticism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because... You know, he did marry an American woman and all that. And and also, she was raised Christian, although she didn't really practice it. Her family wasn't, like, overly religious or anything like that. But she identified as Christian before they were married. And at times, Tissy still claims to be Christian. And then in other interviews, she will claim to be Muslim. So, man, it's really hard to keep track of where she is. Yeah. So the documentary did an excellent job of highlighting that. They would literally take an interview and be like, where she would answer a question this way. And then they would play back to back with that, the interview where she answered it the opposite way. And it's not just inconsistencies. It's not just, I was wearing a red shirt that day. And then 20 years later, she's like, I think I was wearing a pink shirt. You know, it's like stark differences. There are photographs of Yasser Saeed holding a knife to your throat. He told me he did that, that if I ever loved him or I disobeyed him, this is what I have to look forward to. At that time, he wasn't really being aggressive or anything. We were. It was just like, it was mainly for fun, The uh, with him doing the picture with the knife. There are other pictures of you dressed up and holding guns. It was it was like a rifle. He forced me to put that stuff on. Oh, that we were like just joking around, taking pictures. Like we wasn't like he wasn't serious or anything on that. When we left, we took our Sims cards out of our cell phones and we broke them in half and threw them in the trash. We called from the prepaid phone from Tulsa. I did not call Yasser. I uh, I had talked to Yassine uh, one time. That's when we called Yasser after talking to Yassine. Alhamdulillah, I am Muslim. I'm a Christian. And her family 
would do that too. They would say something and then she would immediately say something contradictory, you know, Hmm. to whatever happened, like all this stuff. But she, I don't know. I guess she just doesn't even try to keep up with her lies anymore or I don't know, but she's all over the board. You you can't trust anything she says is the thing. She just, you do not know when she's telling the truth. Then Amina meets Joseph Moreno at Taekwondo. They immediately fell for each other. He said that a girl this beautiful must have a boyfriend. And then he found out she didn't have a boyfriend and that she liked him. So they kind of had this like storybook romance. They were two young people, seemed like they were genuinely in love with each other. They wanted to get married. They wanted to have a future together. It was seriously the sweetest thing. Like, I love that. So adorable. And Joseph's mom knew about the relationship. And over time, Joseph started to confide in her that Amina was fearful of her father, that she was being abused. But Amina's main priority was to keep Joseph safe because she knew that that relationship put him in danger as well as herself. But she knew that Joseph would become a target of her father. Mm -hmm. And if he found out, it could be really dangerous for him. So she took a lot of steps to hide the relationship from anyone in her family. That's so mature of mm-hmm. her to think about that. That's what I was thinking. Like she's, you know, 16, 17 years old and she's usually kids that age are so excited. They want to tell everybody about my boyfriend or they mention their boyfriend, you know, or like whatever. She didn't talk about him. She had a code word that she would text him so that he knew, you know, not to say anything else. She wouldn't talk to him in certain places because she thought like when she started driving herself, she wouldn't let him get into her car. She wouldn't talk to him in her car. She thought her car was bugged. If she was going to meet up with him, she would meet up with him at the Taekwondo parking lot. She wouldn't She wouldn't go to his house in her car because she didn't want her dad following her. Like he followed her everywhere. Mm-hmm. And she was just really scared. And so she tried to make sure that she erased like any trace. Yeah, any trace of him. Yasser did find a note, though, that she was writing to Joseph. She hadn't finished it. So he said what they would do is, like, in the mornings before class, they would exchange notes with each other. And so I guess she was writing one at home. Yasser found it. She hadn't finished it. And he's like, what the fuck is this? And she's like, oh, I don't have a boyfriend. This is imaginary. I'm just, it's more like a diary. I'm just writing this, like wishing I could have a normal life and a normal boyfriend, but I don't. So this is just wishful thinking, basically. This is what Mm -hmm. I would say if I did get to have a boyfriend. And he didn't really buy it, I guess, because he still kept trying to find out who it was. But she had done such a good job keeping it under wraps that he didn't know it was Joseph and he didn't end up finding Joseph. But he worked really hard to find him. And literally, he pulled her out of school. All of them pulled him out of school. They quit going to Taekwondo. He bought a house in Louisville, Texas, which was, I don't know how far away, but they changed everything. And Joseph literally just like stopped hearing from her. He didn't know where she went. He didn't know what happened to her. He changed their phone numbers, like everything. At one point... Yasser beat Amina to try to get the name of her boyfriend out so that he could 
find him, confront him, attack him, whatever it was that he was going to do. And when Amina finally later got back into contact with Joseph and his mom, she was like, he beat me to try to get Joseph's name out, but I would not give it to him. So don't worry. You're safe. Like, it's so, yeah, it's awful, but it's sweet. It is. And Joseph said, you know, this, what we had was real. This was going somewhere, you know, like we knew that this was a real thing. And he was like, she felt like it was worth, it was so important to her that it was worth her getting beat up for. And ultimately it was worth her dying for. Cause technically she did. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's so sad. It's so sad. And it's like, these are two people that you wish could have gotten married. Like, oh, it's just so sweet. They had their whole lives ahead of them. Yes. And Amina finally sent an email to her Taekwondo instructor to let him know that she was okay. And she wanted him to get the message to Joseph and his mom that like, hey, I'm okay. I'll try to contact you when I can, but just like letting you know or whatever. So the Taekwondo instructor gave that information to Joseph's mom. And then Joseph's mom sent an email to that email address. So they started talking a little bit. And then once, because I think Joseph's mom was afraid that like, if I tell him anything right now, he's just going to go try and find her. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just going to be not a good situation. We need to figure out what's going on. You have a plan in place, right? Yeah, we need to have a plan in place. So eventually they kind of got a plan into place. She was spending more time just completely erasing Joseph from like any trace of him just to be sure. Because, and she was taking some steps to make her dad think that she was like hanging out with a different crowd or whatever. Because when she left, when she made her move, she wanted to old red him. Mm. Blake Shelton. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When uh, we were headed south to Tennessee and, or we were headed north to whatever and old red was headed south, like Mm -hmm. that's what she was trying to do. She wanted him to go looking in a different direction and she wanted him nowhere near Joseph. So that's what she was taking steps to do during that time. So they were talking some, but she was being very careful. And I just want to put it out there that I am not the reason Old Red is in your head, Sloan. That's not me. (laughs) I did it this time. But it's totally what she was doing. It worked for Blake. (laughs) Now there's red-haired blue ticks all in the South. (laughs) Love got me in here and love got me out. Okay, so... (laughs) What they were going to do was they were going to go to Vegas and they were going to get married. And Joseph's mom was like all for it. She was like trying to help them do whatever they could. So eventually Amina's like, I've got to do it now. This is the time. It's now or never. Tensions were just getting higher. She's getting closer to 18, but he still won't let her go anywhere. You know, like, well, and by the time all this happened, she did turn 18. So it's like, okay, if I don't get out of here now, when am I going to get out of here? You know? Oh, yeah. So they decide to leave. Sarah and Amina were going to go. They had Sarah's boyfriend, Eric, and I believe his friend, Eddie, or somebody's friend, Eddie. I don't know who Eddie is. But Eddie is with them. They're going to leave. And Tissy says, take me with you. I've always wanted to leave Yasser. Now I can. Take me with you. And they said, okay, you can come with us. So they decide they're going to go to Kansas, I think, where 
Tissy's sister lived, and they were going to go stay with her. They drive all the way to her house. Her sister was like, didn't know y'all were coming. We're having Mexican for dinner. That's fine, but I don't have enough chips for the salsa now, so we need a little more chips. So Tissy's like, I'll go to the store and get it, but everybody has to come with me. All the kids have to come with me. So her sister was like, she loaded all the kids up to go drive right down to the store and get chips. And when they came back, she said, we're leaving. We're not staying here. And they went and stayed at a motel for a couple of days or something until they found a, uh, an apartment. So they end up renting an apartment in Tulsa, Oklahoma. All five of them move in immediately together. And Tizzy apparently paid two months prepaid rent or something for it. And she was getting ready to start a job and like all this stuff. They were like, we're free. They all removed their SIM cards from their phones because they knew and broke them in half. They knew that Yasser could trace them that way. They got all new prepaid phones, you know, all this stuff. Like basically had burner phones and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So Tizzy starts saying that, so this was December, I think the 26th or 27th that they leave. On December 31st, Tissy is saying that, you know, that's the anniversary of her mom's passing. She wants to go down, back down to Texas and put flowers on her grave. This is very important to her. And that she's already contacted her other sister that lives in Texas. And her sister knows they're coming and all this stuff, but they're going to stay with her. Her sister had no idea about any of this because it wasn't true. But she didn't know any of this. She was just having second thoughts and wanted to go back to Yasser. But she's telling her daughters this lie that she's yeah, yeah concocted. I just want to go put flowers on the grave. Everything's totally fine, whatever. Sarah reluctantly agrees to go with her. Amina says, hell no, I'm not going with you. I'm not going back there. So Tissy and Sarah go back. I believe Eddie had a, had a job that he had to finish or something. So he had gone back. I think Eric was with them. So they go back, they're driving back, and Tissy's like, just kidding, we're going back home to Yasser. So they go back home, and then Tissy starts calling Amina nonstop. 8 a.m. to, you know, whatever, all hours of the day and night, every 30 minutes calling her. She's having Sarah text family members, have Mina call my mom. I really, we really need to talk to her, you know, whatever. So Amina finally calls her back and she keeps saying, come home, come home, come home. He forgives you. He's not even mad. He understands. Why didn't Yasser call then? (laughs) Yeah, all this stuff. And Amina's like, no, I'm not going to go. No, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. And then finally she starts breaking down. And Joseph was like, I told her it's not a good idea. I told her not to go. I told her not to go. And she said she had to do what she had to do. So she went back home. And Yasser said he wanted to take the girls to dinner. And Tissy says she wanted to go too. And he said no, that he wanted to talk to them alone. So they all three get in the taxi cab and drive away. And this is all Tissy recounting this because Tissy is a great source of credible information. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in tracing the cell tower that picked up Sarah's 911 call, 
Police speculate that Yasser had driven to a park on Riverside Drive. He then stopped the car, pulled out a 9mm pistol, aimed it at Amina, who was sitting in the passenger seat next to him. He shoots her twice. He hit her point blank in the chest and severed her spinal cord. He then turned the gun on Sarah, who was sitting in the back seat. She was shot a total of nine times in her arms, shoulder, and her chest. He then drove less than three miles, parked in front of the Omni Hotel, and left his dead daughters for others to find. Yasser immediately fled following the shooting, taking with him his passport and $9,000 in cash. A capital multiple murder warrant was issued for him, and he still remains on the run today. There's no record of him flying out of the country, at least not under his name. A cab driver reported he may have seen Yasser driving a cab in Newark Airport. Some people have also allegedly seen him in New York City driving a light-colored or champagne-colored older Mercedes and working as a cab driver. On December 4th, 2014, Yasser was added to the FBI's 10 Most Wanted Fugitives list with a $100,000 reward with any information leading to his arrest. His physical features may vary in order to conceal his identity, and we'll post his picture so that you know. He always wears dark sunglasses, both indoors and outside. He wear, He's that guy. He's yeah. that fucking asshole. He just wears sunglasses all the time. You can't trust people who do that. I hate that guy. <laughs> he's not blind. He's not, like, he doesn't have an eye condition. You like know, Ronnie Millsap. Yeah. Yeah. He looks great. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. Yasser was born in Egypt and may seek shelter in communities with Egyptian ties. He frequents Denny's and IHOP restaurants and smokes Marlboro Lights, 100 cigarettes. Yasser has ties to New York, Texas, Virginia, Canada, and Egypt. He loves dogs, especially tan and black-colored German shepherds. They literally had like 40 dogs at all times, it seemed like. There was always like a lot of dogs running around the background, and they all looked like that. Weird. And Tissy at one point said they they were selling puppies, so I don't know if they're breeding or what, but mm. he's known to carry a weapon at all times. So this guy is dangerous. All times, yeah. He is armed and dangerous. If you see him, assume he's armed. If you have any information concerning this person, please contact your local FBI office or the nearest American embassy or consulate. So Sarah and Amina were laid to rest. The family had a Christian ceremony for them and a Muslim ceremony. And then Tissy ended up having them buried in a Muslim cemetery. And her family was really upset about that because the particular place they're buried in, I'm not saying it's always like this, but the particular place that they are is barren. All the grass is dead. There are no flowers. It looks like it's dark. I don't know. Like her sister was like, I begged my sister not to leave them there. I didn't want her to leave them there. Like, it's just, I don't know. Everybody was kind of upset about where they ended up being laid to rest. They didn't, they didn't like it, but they are together at yes, least. Yeah. Um, what was going on with Tissy though? Like to, I know. Yeah. So yeah, because here's the thing. She says, this is another thing that she straight up lies about. She does. There's not just an inconsistency. She says that, yeah, we all broke our SIM cards. We didn't want him to trace it. I did not call him. I did not talk to him, whatever. And Eric, that was with them, was like, 
Nobody had our new phone numbers. We all got new phones. Nobody had those numbers. So the only way that that anybody could have gotten it was if Tissy reached out. Was if somebody called them. Because when you when you go back and look at her phone records from that time span, December the 26th through the 31st, she's got calls to Yassine, his brother, multiple, multiple calls to him, to and from him. And at one point she says, well, I wasn't going to talk to any of them. But Yassine kept calling me, calling me, calling me, leaving me all kinds of messages. Right. So then I finally called him. And then after I talked to him, I finally called Yasser. But then you flash to another interview with her and she says, I never called any of them. I never talked to any of them. Like, even when brought with the evidence, mm -hmm. like, you know, brought to. Yeah. With the evidence, yeah. And she also says stuff like, you know, I don't know why nobody told me about the, you know, that the girls were alleging abuse when it happened. I don't know why nobody told me about this or that at the time. You know, I'm just finding out about all this stuff. Her family is like, we told her about it then. She laughed it off. Like, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. It just, it seemed like when anybody started asking questions, they would just pick up and move. They would just move away. They would, you know, if a, if a teacher had a question, suspected something, they move They're so they gone. get to a new school district, like all that kind of stuff. And her family strongly believes, a lot of people strongly believe that Tissy set them up, that she, everybody knew, Sarah and Amina both knew he was going to kill them because now they've both got American boyfriends and they've both run off to be with American boyfriends. Amina's already refused an arranged marriage. Which in some places is a punishable offense. Mm -hmm. And they knew that they were going to be murdered. And her mom, if she wasn't luring them, then why didn't she tell them that's what, where they were going? She lied to them and said they were going to the aunt's house. That's not where they went. Mm -hmm. She brought them home and she begged Amina to come back home, begged Amina to come back home and then put them in a cab with their father. And she said, well, who thinks that, who would ever think that Yasser would shoot them? Everybody. Your daughters definitely did. Everybody thought that. Mm -hmm. Everybody knew they were in danger around him, especially after they ran away. And, you know, she says she obviously had no involvement with it. But a lot of people are like, you know, bring up the point. The police didn't find him. He'd shot them. He shot Amina point blank. He would have her blood on him. Mm -hmm. She was shot in the chest twice. So it's not like he got out of that cab when he parked it there and then got into, you know, hailed a random cab and drove away. You know, they're like, who would pick up somebody with that much blood on him and not report it? He had somebody <laughs> waiting there. Mm -hmm. He called her right after, I mean, a little bit after the murders. He called her at 9 something p.m., I mean, the murders the, happened at 7.30-ish. Well, the bodies were found at 8.30. Mm-hmm. He called her around 9. She talked to him on the phone. He also called his brothers multiple times, a couple of them. Mawson actually said that, Mawson's wife, said that Yasser called him that night to come out and meet him somewhere, but that he didn't go. But Tizzy's family is like, somebody picked him up and helped him escape to wherever it is that that he, he is went. now. Yeah. yeah. And there have been sightings of him in all kinds of places. But 
Some people think he's in Egypt. Some people think he's here in the States. Some people think he's still in Texas. But he's never been found. He's on the run. And he's dangerous. And this has been called or labeled as an honor killing. And uh, Brittany put in some information about, you know, what is an honor killing or honor violence from globalcitizens.org. And it says, honor-based violence is violence, plain and simple, but it is violence perpetrated with the goal of restoring or protecting the honor of oneself, family, or community. Due to social norms that devalue women as individuals and human beings, honor violence is mostly, though not exclusively, committed against women and girls. It is committed as a punishment and redemption for the perceived shame or disgrace a woman has brought upon her family and or community. And so many people in the documentary talked about, you know, that basically these people's lives, more times than not women's lives, are valued much less than the family's sense of shame or acceptance in the community or whatever. And it's not a religious thing. Their religion does not sanction honor killings. Mm -mm. It's a cultural thing. Well, Jyoti Singh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's very much like, and, and there's, um, there's, you know, there's a few countries where they're more prevalent, that it's kind of the norm there. And it's all just based on traditions. And it can be for a range of quote unquote reasons, you know, just whatever it is that they think brings shame on them. So refusing an arranged marriage is one of those. There are instances where women have been killed for that. Mm -hmm. Marrying an American or somebody who's not in the Muslim faith is one of them. Uh, there's other situations where that happens. So yeah, just even becoming too Americanized. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There are there are situations where it happens. So these acts of violence that we have come to call honor violence and honor killings have no honor in them. There is simply no honorable basis for violence of any kind, but in particular, there's no basis for the kind of systemic violence against women that occurs in the name of honor. And the AHA Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to defending the rights of women and girls in part by collecting accurate data on these crimes, reports that there are between 25 to 28 honor killings a year in the U.S., is that not, I don't know, that blew my mind. I'm like, I mean, I've heard of them happening here, but I didn't, I mean, that that feels like a lot. That's too many. Yeah, exactly. And the, the statistics are kind of skewed because there's, you know, there's so many that happen that we just don't know about mm -hmm. that don't get reported or don't get labeled or whatever. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Around the world, honor violence is a greater issue. The United Nations estimates that the 5,000 women are killed annually in such manner, while other organizations put the number at the much higher figure of 20,000. Whatever it is, you know, like we said, even the 25 to 28, way too high. Way too high. It's, it's sad. So, so that's the case. We will post all of Yasser's information for the most wanted list so you can see what he looks like and all that, um, just in case you happen to see him. And if you do, call the FBI and stay away from him. Yes, exactly. He's dangerous. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. 
right, before we go, we wanted to do some more shout outs. So these are people that have recently joined our Patreon club. Welcome aboard. Thank you so much to Bailey W. Megan A. Natalie A. Stephanie S. Jill N. Samantha G. Lauren C. Tracy C. Brady Rose C. Rindy. Morgan P. Maddie P. And Katie W. Thank you so much. We love you guys. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. Do you need something to listen to next? Well, check out this other show from Cast Media. Hi, I'm Jake Deptula. I'm Jamie Beebe, and we are your hosts of Strictly Stalking. In each episode, we're going to bring you a new stalking case covering the ins and outs of each stalker, their victim, and their stories. Is he in the house with you? Uh-huh. Does he have any weapons? Yes. What does he have? Is it a gun? Uh-uh. A knife? Yeah. She hated me so much, she found my stepmother, friended her, and then was caught making a plan to attack me with my stepmother. He shows up to my gallery and he's wearing a spacesuit. He looks at me and he goes, you look like Jessica Rabbit and Lilu from The Fifth Element. And then he looks at me very intensely and he goes, and I'm going to stalk you. We hear about the cops not really doing anything or not really caring about the crime of stalking. There's a lot of victim shaming for stalkers. The predator who had been stalking me for 44 years was starting to really interfere with my life and my freedom a lot more than he had been. One of those random messages on my DM. It was like, I'm coming and I'll see you on this date. I was like, I'm not responding to this. And then it was like a verification of a flight got sent. All of a sudden I hear a knock at the door. So I open the door and there's a six foot something gentleman standing in front of me with a backpack and he looks at me and he says, are you Aaron? I'm kind of panicked because this isn't Larry. He followed me to my workplace and he grabbed me, pushed me into the door and was like, unblock me, unblock me. Why have you blocked me? I'm Jake Deptula. I'm Jamie Beebe. Strictly Stalking premieres on January 21st. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Like, oh my God, this person won't stop texting me, stop calling me. She keeps showing up everywhere. And then that's when it's like, you're like, oh shit.